0: This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more
1: information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Today's text is 1 Peter three one through seven. If you go ahead and flip there, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in understanding, in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered.
0: Welcome to all of you who are online with us, too. We see you out there in Facebook land. So this, uh, this passage today is one you've been praying for me about all week, I hope. There we go. And I'm going to call this beautiful marriage. We have talked a lot about submission in the last few weeks, and now Peter is going to turn his attention to submission in the home, submission in the marriage, the relationship between a husband and a wife. And again, as I said last week, this this passage can only be viewed through the lens of verse 13. Look back there if you want to. Be subject, this is chapter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject, be under, come under, be submissive. This book is about breaking the back of Mark Fox's rebellion. You can insert your name there if you like. I know a lot of you like the way I said it the first time. But that's what it's about. Why why would we subject? Why can't we just be a rebel and do what we want to do? Peter told us in verse 15, chapter 2, by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So the institution of marriage, like the institution of the state, is a human institution. But more than that, much more than that, it is a glorious creation of God. Our best hope as people of God is to follow his plan and purpose for all human institutions that he created. And he is ordained for our flourishing, therefore our good. And those institutions God created are marriage, family, the state, and the church. Those are the jurisdictions. Those are the human institutions. But they were created by God. So Peter has instructed servants to be subject to their masters. We saw that in the previous passage. And now he says, likewise, wives. He calls on wives to submit to their husbands. But husbands don't get off here. He also calls on husbands to submit to a command that Peter gives us men. And he says, you know what? There are critical implications if you don't submit to this command. So let's look at this passage under three main points. The heart of a a godly wife, the beauty of a godly wife, and the heart of a godly husband. Peter says the heart of a godly wife is marked by loving submission to her husband. So if you look at a godly wife, the first thing you will notice is that she has a loving submission to her husband. That's true of every woman in Christ, but he says it's also true to those who have to submit to a husband, even if some do not obey the word. He was writing to Christian women everywhere, and some of them were married to pagan men, right? Probably most men then, just like most men now, do not believe, right? But remember remember the culture to which he was writing, It was almost unthinkable for a woman to follow a religion that was different from her husband. If he was a Roman emperor worshiper, then there was no way she was going to depart from that and worship any other god. It was unthinkable. Yet it happened. So a woman who comes to Christ in the Roman Empire and married to an unbelieving husband, she had to have wondered, like, Do I need to leave my husband now? I mean, I belong to Jesus, and he doesn't. I mean, shall I leave him? Or am I superior to my husband now because I am following Christ, and Christ is in me? God is in me, and he's lost. So Peter clearly teaches here that a wife's submission to her husband is not a reward for his good behavior. You submit to your husband if he's a good husband, if he's a godly husband, if he does the right things. No. Peter's not saying that. It's not not a reward. In fact, it's a calling on her life. It's a fundamental position that she adopts. It's not just a a feeling that she tries to work up, but it's a position she takes. In fact, the word was used in in the military. It means to order under. To order my life under the authority of another. That's what it meant then, that's what it means now to submit to someone, whether that's a husband or uh, a human institution. In this case, to her own husband, not to all men in, gen- in a general sense. Peter is not telling women, all of you women, to make sure you submit to all of those men out there. That's not what he says. Submit to your husband. Male headship is clearly taught in scripture with regard to marriage and the church. That's why we have elders here who are men. We don't see any biblical evidence for elders in the church who are women. God calls for male headship in the family and in the church, but not in the, the society, in society or government at large. So may I remind you again, and you know this, that submission has... Nothing, it has zero to do with being inferior or less than or not worth as much to the one who, to whom you are submitting. Look, make sure you understand this. A wa- husband and wife are totally equal in dignity, importance, and honor. If that were not true, then that would make Jesus who submitted to the Father to come to the earth to be the eternally begotten one to save us from our sins. He's somehow inferior to the Father because he submitted to the Father and he came. Jesus said over and over, I came to do the Father's will. I say nothing unless I hear it from the Father. Jesus inferior to the Father? Everybody said, everybody said it louder. No. Jesus is equal in every way to the father. They have different roles. But they are equal. The same essence. You know for that matter. Is Jesus inferior to his parents. On the earth. When Jesus in, in Luke two fifty one, It says Jesus went down with them. Joseph and Mary. And came to Nazareth. And was submissive to them. Was he inferior. To Joseph and Mary. Everybody said. No, no, no. He was a human with all the human qualifications for humans. You know, he bled and he had warts and he scraped his knee and all that. But he was God in the flesh. And yet he submitted himself to human parents. So this has nothing to do whatsoever with inferiority or not worth. Not at all. We're called to submit to those whom God has given authority over us always, unless, and until that authority asks us to sin. Did God ever ask Jesus to sin? No. Does Jesus ever ask us to sin? Right? Peter Peter said to the governing authorities when they called him and John to account for this preaching in Jesus stuff and told them not to do it. Peter said in Acts 5 he said uh, we must obey God rather than men. So they were submitted to the authority in Rome and the authority in Jerusalem only and in as far as they were not told to do something sinful. So submission is never to come under someone and do whatever they tell you to do if it includes sinful activity. So godly wives submit to their husbands whether they are believers or not but God But Peter calls on godly wives to submit also to an unbelieving husband. Notice he says, so that they may be one without a word. He doesn't say they will be one. He says that they may be one. Question, who can win an unbelieving husband or wife to faith? Only God. (laughs) Only God. You cannot do it. But Peter is saying, hey, wives married to unbelieving husbands, or I think it could work the other way. Godly husbands married to unbelieving wives. Enter into this battle with me, God says. Enter into this battle. Not with words, this is my word, not with words upon words and argument upon argument and heavy sighs and drama. No, no, no. With godly conduct. conduct. So that I can do my, you know, the old illustration, somebody said, you know, wives... Duck so I can hit him. You know, Jesus saying, get out of the way, woman, so I can hit that man. You know, you, you keep getting in my way, telling him what to do. Duck down a little bit. And that's kind of the picture here. And, and Peter saying, godly wives married to unbelieving husbands, God can win him, and you can help. But not with your arguments, not with your size, and not with your groaning and complaining. So that leads us to the beauty of a godly wife. And I love that verse from Proverbs 31. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. We have to be careful when you come to verse three, we have to be careful to avoid a wooden interpretation of it. Verse three says, do not let your adorning be external. I like the version, I think the King James or maybe some other versions say, do not let your adorning be merely external. I think that's the, the sense of this text here. I'll break that down for you here. Peter is no more forbidding any hair braiding or gold jewelry than he is forbidding women wearing clothing. Because he says, braiding of hair, putting out a gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, right? So William Barclay, and I recommend him when it comes to history and culture. I do not recommend Barclay when it comes to doctrine. He was a liberal theologian but boy he knew the culture of the day of of the new testament and 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 so he was a he's an expert in that so he said the women of peter's day were fanatical about their hair that doesn't happen today right they spent lots of time and money to get it dyed or braided just right in fact one thing i read said that women in jerusalem would in the roman empire rather would import hair from other countries even back then they would import hair from different places and and uh, and get it fixed to their own hair. They spent lots of time to get it dyed or braided just right, and flashy jewelry, oh yeah, that wasn't just a, an afterthought, that was a requirement in the upper class of the Roman Empire. So look, Peter doesn't tell them that that's wrong. Rather, he says the attention really should go more to the adornment of your heart than the adornment of your hair or your face or your body right and look at this truth here that I'm going to make the argument and I didn't find this in any commentaries but I'm going to make the argument that this text here where Peter applies to the woman applies to the man as well because he says the hidden person of the heart With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And then I'm going to dot, dot, dot here. In God's sight is very precious. I don't think that's just women. I think that's for men as well. You say, wait a minute. What do you mean? Men are supposed to be gentle and have a quiet spirit? Well, let me appeal to you here. Jesus said of himself that he is what? Gentle and lowly. And then the word for quiet there does not mean silent. It does not mean wordless. It means tranquil. It means at peace. Not all worked up in emotional in an emotional state. Jesus was the what? Prince of peace. If there was anybody who was absolutely under control and at peace at all times, even when he was angry with a whip in the in the temple driving the money changers out. Jesus was a man of peace, the peacemaker. So I think that this applies to both men and women. But back to the women. David Guzik says, I like the question here. He says, the real question is, what do you depend on to make yourself beautiful? There's nothing wrong with makeup and jewelry and beautiful clothing and stylish haircuts, but they are not the source of true beauty. And look, as that verse says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Beauty is also what? Temporary. right? It fades. Right. Just just track that over time, you know, in the mirror. Right. We're all we're all watching ourselves fade as that happens. But the beauty, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit just gets better with age. Gets better with age. Finally, Peter appeals to Sarah's relationship with Abraham and he uses her as an example because she obeyed her husband and called him Lord. Now, look, this is not a command from Scripture for you wives to call your husbands Lord. I don't know anybody who does that. Maybe somebody in here does. It's interesting. I, I You know, we went through the book of Genesis. Remember that? Remember Genesis? there was no evidence whatsoever that that was her normal pattern of speech for Abraham but there was one place where she's hiding and the angel's telling Abraham oh yeah your wife's gonna have a baby and she's laughing to herself because she's way past childbearing years and she says to herself after I'm worn out my Lord is old shall I have pleasure? So she calls him Lord to herself maybe she did in person but I think the point here for Peter is not what you call your husband is how you treat your husband he points out two things about Sarah's heart that are worthy of imitation he says she did good and she was fearless now, I don't remember Sarah as being fearless but I think what he's saying here is that she was submitted to Abraham and she knew that she had nothing to fear if she submitted to her husband because she feared the Lord I think Sarah was a godly woman who feared the Lord. Did she do everything right? Oh, no. Right? We talk about Hagar and all that other stuff. No, she did not. But she feared the Lord, and therefore she was willing to submit to her husband and not be afraid of the consequences of that. She did not fear harm coming to her if she obeyed Abraham because she obeyed God. Now, before we move to verse 7, I have to share this from John Piper. In my research this week, I read an article that he wrote about these first six verses. And he said, this passage in 1 Peter 3 is the best place to go to help husbands and wives learn what submission is not. So I'm going to go over those six points really quickly. Number one, it does not mean mean agreeing on everything. And all the women said, amen. This will be true in every marriage and much more so if you're married to an unbeliever. In fact, Piper writes, the husband says in this house, we will worship Allah. But well, she will have to disagree. Amen? Number two, it does not mean you leave your brain at the altar. Piper wrote, any man who says, I do the thinking in this family, is sick and has a sick view of his authority. Piper says, I dealt with a couple one time. The wife said he demanded that she get permission to, from him to go to the bathroom. That really happened. Piper says, I looked at him and said, you're not well. You have an unbelievably distorted view of this fellow heir of the grace of life. You don't understand the Bible. You're taking a word like authority or leadership or submission, and then you're stepping away from the Bible and filling those words up with stuff you want to do going your own way number three it does not mean that you don't try to change him seems what Peter's saying here right Uh, uh, they may be one without a word by the conduct of the wife wait a minute you are trying to change him but the whole, point, the whole point of verse 1 is to win him. But again, words stacked on words, these are my words, not pipers, but words stacked on words and arguments stacked on arguments and bitterness and sighs and groaning will not do it. But you still want a husband or a wife who is a believer living in unbelief to change, and you're working and waiting with hope for that to happen. Number four, this is so important, it is not putting the will of the husband ahead of Christ. That's not submission. Christ is her Lord now, and wherever she has to choose between the two, she chooses Christ. But she would say it not with a haughty or arrogant attitude, but rather with a winsome, submissive, longing one. Number five, it does not mean getting all of her spiritual strength through her husband. She's going to church on Sunday morning before he gets up. She's getting her strength, spiritual strength, elsewhere. She's getting her worldview elsewhere. And number six, it does not mean living or acting in fear. And I love this quote. He ends the article with, Submission is the defined calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and so help to carry it through according to her gifts. So that leads us to the heart of a godly husband. The heart of a godly husband. A husband can only win his wife's heart once Christ has captured his. I like that. So he says likewise husbands. Not likewise you're submitting to your wife necessarily. We do submit in some ways. But this is likewise. This is my instruction to you. Peter says all right, wives I've I've given you instructions. Now husbands listen up. Listen up, this is important. Peter says to the husbands who would read this letter because they were believers, the unbelievers wouldn't have read it. Maybe they've heard it from their wives, but they wouldn't have read it. This is what a godly husband does. The wife's called to submit to her husband and the husband is called to honor his wife. He's called to honor his wife. In what ways does a husband honor his wife? Well, first he lives with his wife not with a roommate, not like a roommate, right? She is herself an heir of the grace of life, a co-heir of, with Christ, with her husband. She's chosen by Jesus. She's precious to him. He lives with her in an understanding way, or Peter says, with knowledge. I want you to live with her in a way that displays that you know her, I joke around every time that say, and say, when I say to men, you know, the good news is you don't have to understand women. You just have to understand one. And it's going to take you a lifetime to understand her. So get to work. But that's a lifelong pursuit. And we're sometimes great at pursuing our wives and getting to know her before we marry her, right? We're all about it then. And then we get really lousy at it. After we say and she says I do, and then we stop pursuing. You know, I'm in my 42nd year now of pursuing my wife and learning her and getting to know her. And I'll be the first to confess, uh, I have a lot to lot to learn, long way to go. Second, the husband recognizes that the wife is his is the weaker vessel, and he knows what that means. And this is another stumbling block for some. Women who read that passage and say, forget Christianity. This is weaker stuff. I'm not weak. I can take on any man right now and beat him in almost everything. Okay, maybe you can. That's not what this means. It does not mean that she is inferior to her husband. Remember, we are living what? Stones. We are living stones connected to one another. In this building that Christ is called, is called the church, and he's building, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, she's a living stone as well. She's a co heir with Christ, just like you are. She's filled with the same Holy Spirit you have. She's endowed with spiritual gifts, just like you are. She's called by Christ to serve the Lord and lay down her life for him. Take up my cross and follow me. Deny yourself, follow me. Jesus didn't just say that to men. She lays down her life for him just like we do. She may be weaker in physical strength, and that's a given biological fact. Most women are weaker physically than most men, but Edmund Clowney says her role in the gift of physical life, giving birth, is certainly not less. The wise husband then acknowledges the emotional and physical differences in his wife, rather than despising them or taking advantage of them in any way. Third, he gives, and I think this is the crux of it, he gives her the honor that is due. Honor, that's a word that's much more powerful than respect. To give honor means to see the preciousness, the priceless, preciousness, the pricelessness of something or someone. Paul said in Ephesians 5 that husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. He said, no one ever hated it. No man ever hated his own body. He nourishes it, cherishes it. And in the same way, we are called to give honor to our wives, which means we are to nourish them and cherish them with our love and our uh, honor. They must know that other than Christ, there is nothing or no one is more important than they are. Now, don't mistake this, guys. If they know that they are more important to you than Christ, that marriage is in trouble. You're in trouble. She's in trouble. You're in trouble. Because nothing is to take the place of Christ. We're to have no idols in our lives, including our wives or our husbands. But she needs to know that outside of Christ, there's no person on the planet that I, that's more important to me, that I love more, that I want to be with more, that I want to take care of, that I want to nourish and cherish. And, and guys, listen, this is first century Roman Empire. This was radical teaching in that culture. Men had absolute authority. They talked about the, the the I can't remember the Latin phrase, but the the uh, uh, authority of the father, even over his own children, he could put them to death in the Roman Empire should he choose to do so. And the same with the wife. If he caught his wife in the act of adultery, he could put her to death. If she caught him in the act of adultery, she could do nothing about it. So for for Peter to say, oh, I want you to nourish and cherish them. I want you to honor them. I want you to love them above everything and every person other than Christ. Christ. See, Christ came and changed all that for women and for men and changed how we are to treat our spouses. So Peter says, live this way, husbands, love your wives in this way, honor them in this way. Because if you don't, there are serious consequences. What are those, Peter? Well, your prayers will be hindered. Now, Peter may have in mind just prayers that you pray with with your wife, but I don't think so. I mean, that's one argument I read. He's just talking about when you pray with your wife, those prayers just get to the ceiling. I think it applies to everything. If you don't honor your wife, if you bully her, you mistreat her, you are abusing her in some way emotionally, physically, or not tending to her needs, not loving, laying down your life for her like Christ loved the church— your prayers will bleed, won't will get past the ceiling. He quotes Psalm 34 again. I told you Peter loves Psalm 34, right? He says, it says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's quoting that verse here, I think because he's saying the Lord counts disregarding and dishonoring our wives as evil. And our prayers will not make it past the ceiling. Until the prayer of true repentance is spoken from the heart, God's not listening. This is my devotions this morning. I was in Psalm 66, and I love that verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So I will summarize the passage this way. If the emotional and physical intimacy between a husband and wife are unhealthy, the spiritual intimacy they have will be affected as well and vice versa. So if the spiritual intimacy that a husband has with his wife is unhealthy, then the emotional and the physical intimacy will be unhealthy as well. You know what, guys? You know this. The gospel is at stake here. Right? That's how serious this is. where where peter talks about marriage the gospel's at stake you say well how this is the one human relationship that god has chosen on the earth the one not father son mother daughter uncle aunt cousin grandparent this relationship between a husband and his wife and his wife god has chosen to model the relationship between Christ and his church. Remember in in Ephesians 5 and Paul's talking about husbands, you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church and wives see that you respect your husband. And then he stops and he says, and this is a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He's not nullifying everything he said before. He's emphasizing everything he said before. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church because you're showing the world how Jesus loves the church. How Jesus loves people who come to him by faith. And wives, love your husbands, right? As the church submits to Christ, you should should also submit to your husband. Because the gospel is on display in our marriages. What's it looking like? And boy, I tell you what, I, you know, I told Sandy this morning. I, she said, "How are you how are you doing with the sermon? You ready for the sermon?" She always asked me that. I always say, uh, "I think maybe sometimes I don't know." And I said, "I tell you what, I'm not be, I'm not going to be preaching tomorrow as an expert. I'm going to be preaching as somebody who is a student in the classroom, still learning and struggling with this. We've been married 41 years, but there's struggles." And there always have been struggles because of my sinfulness mainly. So we're learning this together. Hey, let me ask you a question. Do you need help to be a better husband or a better wife? Good news. You're sitting with people all around you this morning and those who aren't here who would be sitting here this morning who need the same help that you do. Amen. How many think you have a perfect marriage? Raise your hand. Please don't. How many want a better marriage? Raise your hand. Well, the good news is that we have inside us if we're believers, the most powerful helper in the universe, the Spirit of the Living Christ. Let's go to Him and pray. Father, we thankful we are thankful this morning that You do not regard us according to our iniquities, but Lord, You see our frames that we are but dust. You see our struggles and our failures and you love us anyway and you give us grace anyway because that's what you do and you're a god of grace and a god of mercy and so you see the hearts of every person in this room and those listening to the sound of my voice and you know lord what they're going through you know how difficult marriage is you created it. or created it uh, for for your own glory and for our own good. And yet it's like two rocks in a rock polisher sometimes and it can be painful and difficult. And yet the end result, if we stay the course, the end result is beautiful. And there's beauty all along the way, Lord. And so I pray for all of the marriages in this room and those uh, who will be married one day that, Lord, we would submit to you in what you've taught us about this human institution that is so important, so blessed, that we would submit to you and learn from you and walk in your ways and not go our own way. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.